0: You may be seated, and if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. If you are visiting with us and maybe aren't familiar with the Bible, we've printed the text for you on page 10 of the Worship Guide, and if you don't have a Bible, we would love for you to grab one of those pew Bibles in front of you and just take it home as our gift to you Um, That you may have God's word um, in your heart. If you are visiting with us, my name is Paul Joyner. I'm one of the pastors here. And we are finishing up our study on 1 Corinthians, a book that we started in the fall. We regularly preach through books of the Bible here um, at Zion. This is because this is how God has given us his word and he gets to set the agenda. Um, It helps us be a lot more balanced as a congregation Having to tackle hard subjects that we might want to avoid or other subjects that we might want to camp out on a little too much. Um, And so we work our way through books of the Bible. Um, If you do have your Bible, I'm actually going to read uh, verses 20 through 23 and then skip to verse 35. This is God's Word. But in fact... Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Now verse 35, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of weed or some other grain. But God gives it a body as He has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory." So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The second, last Adam, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. And the mortal puts on immortality. Then shall come to pass. The saying that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh death. Where is your victory? Oh death. Where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. Who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore my beloved brothers. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is God's word. We should ask his blessing. Would you pray with me? Oh, God, as we come to your word, we are doing so in the heavenlies. For the great mystery that is also proclaimed to us. Is that we have been gathered together with the saints who have gone before us. The elders who lay down their crowns at the foot of the lamb who was slain. The great heavenly hosts gathered around your throne. We are there with them and So this is what we pray. Lord Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, step forward and preach your word to us with great power. Our hearts must be changed. For some, our wounds are so deep that only the gospel balm can bring healing. So weary that only the strength of your spirit can enliven us again and give us hope. And so come, our good shepherd, and with your spirit and your word, do surgery on our hearts. For we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, birth and death are the great unifying acts of all of humanity. We all start the same in between radically different paths that lead us to various formative and disformative experiences, and then we all end the same at death. It's the great specter that hangs over all of Humanity. It is the one thing that we all have to deal with. You've heard it said that death and taxes are the great universal reality. Well, the fact is you can find ways to get out of taxes. You cannot find a way out of death. We all start the same, and as varied as our stories are, they all end the same. Death is the one thing that has to be dealt with at the heart of the human heart. It casts its long shadow over all of human race and all of our lives. It's such a hanging specter that humanity in the history of thought has all had to deal with the problem. And, and the problem of death is usually dealt with in one of two extremes. One is to look at the specter of death and say, let's live life to its fullness. Years ago, the movie The Bucket List, the two main characters realize life's coming to an end. We can either you know, fight for our health in a cancer ward or we can just go out and live life. And so they put together their bucket list, all the things that they want to do until they end. And Paul's like, hey, that's actually a reasonable option. He actually quotes um, an old poet here at the dead are not raised. He says, let us just eat and drink for tomorrow we die. That is an option. The other end of the spectrum in the history of human thought is just to say that this is actually probably what is going on and embodied in the Corinthian church is just this. It's a devaluing of the body in, in order to sanitize death. Some were, verse 12, if you have your Bible, some were believing that there is no physical resurrection of the dead. We can call, maybe call this the over-spiritualizing of the world around us. So we create this dichotomy between the physical and the spiritual. We usually say something like there's the immaterial and the material or the spiritual and the, the, the earthly. We treat the body as if, in this case, it's, it's something to be just discarded and done away with. Just so that we don't have to deal with the enemy of death just the things that I've heard at funerals, that's just a shell in the casket. That's not my real mom. But those were the arms that held you when you were a baby. Those were the arms that embraced you when your boyfriend or girlfriend broke up with you in your teen years. Those were the hands that fed you. Those were the eyes that you looked into for comfort and when you did not know if anybody else loved you it was your mother's gaze and her smile that assured you that you are loved that is your mom and the enemy of death has invaded your world and taken her very important body away from you remember that Paul here is putting all of the message of Jesus on the historical, physical resurrection of Jesus. Throughout this whole chapter, he has been arguing that Jesus, after having died under the curse of God's wrath, was then three days later raised bodily from the dead in his victory. And this is such, this historic event that actually happened in time and space is so vitally important that Paul, in fact, says if the Did not happen, if Jesus was not bodily raised from the grave, then the entirety of the Christian gospel is not only vain, but its preaching is futile. That's how important the body is, particularly the body of Jesus. Because death is an enemy, it's the final enemy. As Paul reminds us, when death invaded the lives of Jesus' close friends, Martha and Mary, when Lazarus, their brother, died, Jesus wept. Didn't ignore the reality, wept with them. But then John also, as an eyewitness, records a very vivid image. He tells us that Jesus we sanitized this he felt deeply the word picture that john uses in that instance is when he looked at jesus who was looking at death he says he was snorting like an angry stallion because the enemy of death had invaded his good creation he wasn't indifferent and explain it away or look at Martha and Mary and say, well, that's what's going to happen to you. you better live life to its fullness. He rose up in anger, ready to do battle. Because enemy of death had invaded his good creation. In the scriptures, there's a distinction between the inner man and the outer man. Paul, in fact, has said that the inner man, to the Corinthian church, the inner man, while the outer man is wasting away, the inner man is being renewed. That's the trajectory of the Christian life, that through our sufferings, the outer man is wasting away, but God in his resurrection power is making us into new people, even as that is going on. And God's design Both the body and the soul, the outer man and the inner man, are addressed by him because they're essentially important to him. We are embodied souls. And you've noticed that those two realities affect each other. When your body's sick, you can tend towards discouragement and hopelessness. It's hard to pull yourself out of it. Those are soul-level responses to a physical reality. When you, You've probably noticed, as you're one like me, that January and February, with the bleakness of the weather, affects you and draws you into the dark night of the soul. The physical reality, as your body engages with it, affects so deeply. There's even vast amounts of research that shows us that those who... Are most whole-souled actually experience healing in their bodies quite quickly... We're embodied souls, both by God's design is how we are made. And when Jesus went to the cross, he didn't just go to redeem your soul that, so that you can one day have a sort of glistening, disembodied and ethereal thing floating out around there in an unphysical creation, but to redeem our bodies from the enemy of death so that we can live glorified in our glorified bodies in a glorified new creation. This is Paul's point. The first Adam became a living being. God breathed life into him. But the second Adam, Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. God breathed into Adam who he made out of the ground so that Adam could live in a physical creation as an embodied soul. This is important. This is important just down to the general day-to-day life. This eliminates any kind of sacred, secular distinction. All of life is under the realm of God. There is no, my calling is not more holy or dignified than your calling. You're made of the dirt to live in the dirt. This is God's good design and he will raise us up. From the dirt to live with glorified bodies in a new creation. Whether you're an artist to a handyman, a lawyer to a fast food worker. You're working in the physical world as a physical being doing what God has made you to do. Because we're embodied soul. And all then of life is very dignified and worthy. I often say this, that Christianity really is a religion of the dirt, in the good sense, right? It's earthy, it's always physical, it's very dirty. In fact, this is what Paul's going to do to build a case for the bodily resurrection in general, and then the bodily resurrection of Jesus. He's actually going to start with the physical creation of the world, verse 35. They're they're being argumentative with him. They're trying to trap him. But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Paul pulls no punches, you foolish people. And then, in order to make his case, he just grabs a bunch of different illustrations from creation. He goes down into the dirt. From the physical world to illustrate the pattern of the resurrection is actually there for anyone to see. If you plant a seed, you bury it, it experiences a kind of death, and it grows up to new life. Mystery of God's creation. And then in all around us, he says, there are differences. It shouldn't surprise us that we actually see differences. There are different kinds of body. Not all flesh, 39, is the same. But there's one kind for human, another kind for animals, and another kind for birds. And then he goes and says, and actually in creation, in the dirt, you'll realize that there are different levels of glory. So it shouldn't surprise us that the earthly body and the resurrection body are different kinds of glory because God's actually built this into his world. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. For stars differ from glory to glory. He's building his case from the dirt of creation. And he can do this because the author of creation is the same author of redemption. And like any artist, you can tell their work. Like any architect. You you don't have to be a Frank Lloyd Wright scholar to notice a Frank Lloyd Wright building. His buildings look the same. The patterns are built into his design. And you get a sense of what he values by what he builds in. Frank Lloyd Wright, by the way, is a a short guy. All his buildings are built for short people, which is why I love the man. God the great architect of history is moving all the time and this is Paul's largest point not just that there you can look in creation see the patterns death and life difference movement towards glory that's his greater point that by God's design all he just left this everywhere he's moving things forward to an ultimate conclusion seeds go into the ground to produce something glorious in return Stars differ in their glory because there's a gradation and movement. He's left his fingerprints, verse 46, of this design. It's not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. Here, spiritual is not immaterial. That's often, in fact, nowhere in the New Testament does the writers of the Bible think of spiritual as immaterial, but rather of the realm of the Spirit, the realm of consummation, the realm of finished, of full glory. And you contrast, it's a contrast between the dusty body versus the glorious body, and God is moving all things towards that end where all things will be finished and reach their climactic end from dust to glory. And the tragedy of the curse of death is that we are stuck in frailty and decay. That what was designed to go from the dust of Adam To the glory of God's finished ends where His people dwell with Him forever. Death has invaded the world and left us in the tragedy of frailty and decay. And so the natural body, the one that we're born with, is perishable. And therefore when death comes, it's sown in dishonor not the way God designed the glory of our bodies to be. Now we've got to sow them in dishonor. And all of life is an experience of the natural body's weakness. Every one of us knows the frailty of a fleshly, dusty body. Some of you, your arthritis has set in so hard in your hands that you now have to fist bump people because the pain of a simple handshake is unbearable. You begin to beg God at times in life for something as simple as sleep. Melancholy sets in and you can't escape it. There's more than a few of us in the congregation who are fighting cancer. Even the sick, even the young get sick and die. None are immune. We get hangry. Our body, this frail body, needs constant sustenance. And that is why, verse 50, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Not because flesh and blood are bad, but because flesh and blood in the dust are incomplete. And are not fit in and of themselves for the glories of God's kingdom. In order to be fit, these flesh and blood bodies to be fit, they need to be transformed by the resurrection to reach the glory for which we were made. Verse 45, God is taking all of this somewhere. Thus it is written, the first man Adam became a living being. God breathed life into the dirt. And the last Adam, in contrast, became a life-giving spirit. Jesus, raised from the dead with the power of the new creation, can breathe life into our mortal bodies again. It's not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. The finished world. The new creation. And as a man of dust. So also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven. So also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust. If your faith is in Christ. Here's the guaranteed reality. We shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. You and I do not have the resources to complete this project. But the second Adam, who became the life-giving spirit, can fit you for the kingdom of heaven. And the resurrection of Jesus does transform the experience of death. This is, this is just God's brilliant irony, as he often does. The resurrection of Jesus transforms the experience of death so that the final enemy becomes the pathway to new life. That's God's tremendous wisdom. In his wisdom, he looks at the enemy of death as a result of the curse of sin and he'll say, I will put my son there. I will pour out my wrath on my son so that by his death, death. You can experience the resurrection. I will crush him so that through that last enemy we'll get victory for all my people. That's Paul's point in verse 42. The body sown in corruption. The body of Jesus as he bears our sins in his body. Sown in corruption. Goes down into the grave. Dead. Buried. Three days. No life in his body. But then is raised in In corruption. It's sown in dishonor. Under the wrath of God. For our sins. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. Raised in power. It's sown in natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. Death breaks. What God has put together. But in Christ. When the broken dies. It's Jesus comes back. Physically raised from the dead. And in him takes all his people to resurrection glory. That's where we're going. How do you know? Because he's the first fruits. It's easy for us to get disoriented in life. So easy. Our experience of corruption, our experience of our dusty bodies is constant. I mean, it's just constant. You get to the point, (laughs) you get to, everybody in their 20s and 30s, I've got good news for you. You get to the point where you get hurt in your sleep. (laughs) And it's just so disorienting. Just a couple of years ago, an F-16 pilot literally flew his plane nose first into the ground in the upper peninsula of Michigan. Michigan. Pilots, what happens, pilots lose their senses really quick. They can get disoriented in the air. Their inner ear gets overwhelmed. The loose sight of the horizon, the information's coming at them at such a vast pace. They just just can't operate and they get disoriented. and, And that's what, I mean, suffering just does this to us. Because we're embodied souls in our embodied lives, we get spatially disoriented and we fly the plane of our lives straight into the ground. We lose hope. Is Jesus actually going to be there for me? Is he worth giving all things up for? You begin to doubt God's goodness. You begin to despair and just before we know it, we run the plane of our lives nose first into the ground. You see, part of what Paul is doing here is he's pulling us out of the spin by reorienting us to the horizon of what's coming as a guaranteed reality because Jesus has been raised from the dead. Verse fifty-one. I tell you a mystery. As Mark pointed out earlier, a mystery is not a who done it. It's not something that we have to figure out. It's just it's an some call it an open secret. It's not something hidden. God's saying, "I'm going to tell you something. It's so important you couldn't figure this out on your own." Behold, I tell you a mystery. I'm revealing to you the depths of God's heart and the riches of God's plans. We shall not all be asleep, but we shall all be changed. Some, some may actually Jesus may come back at this moment and we won't all sleep but we all will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet and the trumpet was in an the ancient world was an announcement prior to battle a vast army's coming we're going to warn them we're on our way by blowing the trumpet and this is the last trumpet because it's the final battle when Jesus comes in victory, And Paul's carrying us all the way back here. If you've got your Bibles open to verse 24, where he reminds us that after the resurrection, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father after destroying every rule and power and authority. For he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Now verse 50. I tell you, brothers, flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of heaven, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. In a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the last trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall... All be changed. For this perishable body must be put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable. And the mortal puts on immortality. Then shall come to pass the saying. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death where is your victory? O oh, death where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Those who, the one who has become the life giving Spirit, will descend and his people will rise from the grave. And death will be no more. No more frailty. No more dust. No more decay. And we will all be embodied souls in a glorified, physical, new creation. One last thing needs to be said. It would be awesome to leave it there, but Paul doesn't. Remember, the gospel is always earthy. It's always dusty. It's always on the ground. I'm going to quote again here, N.T. Wright, who says, Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from the earth, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven, the life of Jesus, the second Adam, who reigns where all things are glorious, breaking into the reality. And so he draws this conclusion. This is not the conclusion that you expect. Verse 58, therefore, like, therefore my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor's not in vain. But he just did this prior in verses 29 through 34 where he brings the hope of the resurrection back down to the dirt of life. Because it's always the work of God to affect us deeply in everyday life. So after he set that as our horizon, our ambition, our goal, our dreams... No need for a bucket list now. No need to deny the pain of death now. It'll all be wrapped up into a new creation. Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. You see what he's doing is he's grabbing hold of the future and bringing it into the present and saying, let's live in light of this. Now, my friends, we intuitively know how to do this, to grab a future, bring it into the reality and live in light of it. We typically call that worry. We grab hold of the potential of future sufferings or the potential of decay or the potential fears and then we stir up our affections so that we're now living in light of a potential reality that's out there in the future somewhere that's like a 2-year-old trying to lasso a fierce stallion it's going to whip you all over the place until you're worried exhausted bruised and dangerously beaten but we're not grabbing hold of a future potential reality and bringing it into the presence and living in light of it, we're grabbing hold of what is our guaranteed reality. For Christ is the first fruits of the new creation. One of the things I love about this time of year when the daffodils begin to pop up, sometimes I weep. They're the first fruits of the spring, winter's ending. Spring's just around the corner. You know it's coming, and I'm just going to have to wait. It may even snow. But those daffodils will stand above the snow in hopeful resistance to the cold and the dreariness announcing it is almost over. So therefore, my beloved brothers, back down into the dirt, and whatever job you're doing, whatever calling you're attending to, Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. The story of a woman who's buried in Louisiana under tall live oaks. When she was buried, her family planted the seedlings in the ground Now after 150 years, those seedlings are towering over her grave. And unlike other graves that extol the virtues of the dead, faithful husband, loving father, wonderful citizen, great veteran, all virtues that are also now ground into the dust with her. Her headstone just has one word, waiting. when the the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come the end. To pass to the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, as we have sung, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. And clothed in His righteousness alone, spotless we stand before the throne and wait the day when the dead will rise. Our ears long to hear the trumpet blast. So we can cheer. Team, Jesus has won. Take us into our glory. Now as we come to this table... We would pray that you would feed us as we proclaim your death until you come. Take these ordinary elements, Holy Spirit, nourish your weary people. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.